0: This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading
1: recommendations. This is episode 46, and we are recording on September 12th. I am Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hi! Hi.
0: (laughs) I took my kids to school this morning, and I had to wear a sweater. Outside, it was like sixty-five degrees, and it was amazing. And I'm so happy. It'll be like ninety by the time (laughs) the afternoon is over. But I don't care. (laughs) I'm so excited.
1: It's it's that moment when you're like, oh, fall is soon. Fall is soon now. I'm going to watch football. September New York is. Oh yes, chilly. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh, I'm like (laughs) slightly drooling now. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> let's, let's have a moment of silence for, for, for good chili. chili. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now that I've recovered from thinking about chili, I want to yeah. remind everybody that Book Riot Live is coming up. It's like two months away now. Mm-hmm. Can that be real? Mm-hmm. It's on November 12th and 13th here in New York City. And you can get $20 off of your registration if you use the code Hands when you check out. Go to bookriotlive.com for all the amazing details. We're announcing programming uh, over the course of this month, and we've already started. We've got great authors coming and speakers, and we're going to have games and live podcast recordings, and including this one now, which is super exciting. <laughs> so yes, all your question could be answered in front of a live studio audience, as they say. <laughs> um, so yes, join us for Book Riot Live. Enter code Hands when checkout, and you'll get $20 off your weekend pass. And we hope to see you there. Okay, so this is a reading recommendation show, which means you send us the questions about what you should read next for any variation of circumstances, whether you finished a book you love and want more like it, or you need books for your classroom or for your mother-daughter book club or for your grandpa whose birthday is coming up etc. etc etc. We answer all kinds of questions and we are happy to get yours. You can email it to getbooked at bookriot.com. You can leave your question in the form that's at the bottom of every get booked post on the site, uh, you can tweet them to me and Amanda. I'm Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, and Amanda's. I'm Amanda Nelson. And uh, if your request is time sensitive, if the day, uh, if if it is attached to a specific date, in general, uh, please let us know that date towards the top, either in your subject line or the top of the form, um, so that we can try to get to it on schedule. We are doing our best. We have so many questions. Uh, oh, speaking of which, we've also started emailing some responses back to folks who have. Uh, asked questions that we have that are very close to ones we've already answered on the air so that you don't have to wait to for your question to cycle back around again. So, yes, I think that is all of the housekeeping. Did I miss anything, Amanda? Nope. All right. That's good. On to question 1, after which we will read we'll read the question and then we'll do our first sponsor and then we'll give our first round of recommendations. So, our first question is from Kevin. Uh, says, I was curious if you had any recommendations for novels about or containing novels, or novels about reading novels. I read If on a Winter's Night a Traveler and in the middle, and, and in the mid, it's Monday! <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, okay, let's try that again. I read If on a Winter's Night a Traveler and am in the middle of Pale Fire. Calvino blew me away. Any thoughts? Thanks much. Alright, we do have thoughts. We do. First Um, Amanda's going to tell us our sponsor.
0: She is. Uh, Our first sponsor is a title, and it is Spontaneous by Erin Starmer, and it has the best tagline of any book I have ever seen, and that tagline is, a novel about growing up and blowing up, and it's not spontaneous (laughs) combustion. Ah, that day I'm so tickled. I love it. Um, I'm sorry. Anyway, so the main character's name is Mara. She's a senior in high school, and she's, you know, doing the thing that you do senior year, just trying to get through third period pre-calc or whatever until you can graduate and go live your life like a grown-up. But then another senior in one of her classes named Caitlin spontaneously combusts during the middle of a class. And she's the first one, but she isn't the last one, the last teenager in their school to blow up without any warning, without any explanation. And as the seniors continue to, and this is from the copy, just so that you're, this is clear, as they continue to pop <laughs> like balloons, <laughs> woo, uh, Mara narrates the end of their world as she knows it. She's, of course, just trying to make it to graduation, but she also has to navigate romance and her friendships and what she's going to do with her future and quarantine and people dying maybe a little bit um so john green who all <laughs> oh, of you just a little bit just a little bit <laughs> with fire like dying in, in a literal fire <clears throat> so all of you know john green he wrote the fault in stars he says that um aaron starmer who wrote spontaneous uh, welds sharp humor deep loss and roaring escapades which sounds like a lot of fun so i like a humor why novel about spontaneous combustion is so in my wheelhouse i just love that somebody like thought this up and wrote it and made spontaneous combustion a metaphor for graduating from high school so good on you aaron starmer so everyone go check out spontaneous Uh, it's available now from penguin teen and thank you for sponsoring the show I'll just keep going because I'm already talking. Okay, so books, uh, novels about novels or that contain novels or somehow about reading novels. Um, so, my first pick for you is The Name of the Rose by Umberto Eco, which, if you like Nabokov and you're reading Pellfire, so you do, I assume. Um, and, and Calvino, then I think you'll really like this because the Calvino, if on a winter's night of Traveler is like novels and novels and novels and has a little bit of a mystery going on. And The Name of the Rose is essentially a mystery. So, it's, it's a big, chunky, like five, six hundred page novel about Franciscan monks in the 14th century. <clears throat> the main character is named Brother William. He has arrived at an, an abbey in Italy um, for a theological like disputation, like meeting of the minds. They're like the monks are all coming together to talk about theology and stuff. Um, some of the people in the abbey are suspected of hearsay. And so when William shows up to have this theological meeting, one of the monks dies has um, what appears to have been a suicide and then the abbot of the the abbey asks William to look into it and like try and figure out kind of what happened and while he's doing that six other monks mysteriously die and so there's this big murder mystery happening and buried in that are um, tons of references to literature William the main character is very well read you t- you spend a lot of time like in this the, the labyrinth of this really eerie, abbey library and the entire um mystery of what's going on with these monks ends up circling around a book um, and around aristotle and a little bit of a there's a lot going on here so when i first read this and i don't mean this as an insult to dan brown because i love dan brown but this this i think is like very accurately described as like a thinking man's Dan Brown, not that you can't be a thinking man and love Dan Brown, because I know that there are a lot of people who are and do, including myself, um, but it's super brainy and um, esoteric and uh, other words that are synonyms with esoteric that I can't think of right now, um, literary, but at the heart of it, it's just, it's like a really fast paced, fascinating kind of whodunit, a uh, really long one, though based a lot around like symbology and umberto echo is a pho- not a philosopher um a professor of literature and i think symbols of some kind um so he's very very brainy and intellectual so the name of the rose by umberto echo if you want a really really literary focused on books mystery about 14th century monks which who doesn't i mean really it's like it's great it sounds when i describe this book it's so hard to like sell a book about a monastery and like there's hearsay and the inquisition shows up and it's kind of weird (laughs) and it's a lot about aristotle but like it's really great it's a lot of fun it's fun (laughs) yes okay um (laughs) (laughs) i promise so
1: um I, when you, when, the way you phrased your question made me think that you are not averse to being confused as all get out by (laughs) the book that you're reading, because both If On A Winter's Night, A Traveler and Pale Fire are like, so meta. Mm. Um, And so I am recommending to you S by J.J. Abrams and Doug Dorst, which is one of the weirdest books I've ever read in my entire life. Um... It is a book inside of a book. Inside of a book! Uh, It's a... It, like, comes in a slipcase because there's all of these things tucked into the pages that, like, kind of need to be on the page that they're on. Okay, wait, so let me rewind. So the story of this book is that it is a library copy of a book called The Ship of Theseus, that is be that has been picked up by like an undergrad, and she's finding all of these notes in the margins, uh, written in like a special color pen or whatever, and um, she starts to like write back and. And, you know, has to return it to the library and goes back to get it, um, again, because she's not done with it yet, um, and finds that the person who wrote the initial notes has now responded to her notes. So there's this whole conversation unfolding between these two college students about the book. Um, And then there's footnotes inside of the book itself that refer back to the text in a way that changes the meaning of the text as you read it. And the story of The Ship of Theseus, which is the book inside of the book, is it's this novel by a very enigmatic writer named V.M. Stracca, and there's this whole uh, mystery about who wrote the book and who Straka actually was, and then the character in the book is a man with no past who's, like, on this ship where super weird, awful things are happening. Like, the entire crew has their, like, mouths sewed shut, and they're going to all of these different places, and he doesn't understand what's going on. And, um, it's, there's, like, a lot of weird political stuff happening, and it's super confusing, and it's a really interesting book that is in and of itself a puzzle, um... And there's so much meta stuff going on between all the footnotes and the margin notes, and, like, there's timeline stuff, and it's just, like, a really... Like, a lot of people, when it first came out, were comparing it to House of Leaves, if that gives you an idea. Like, it is an interactive book. And then on top of it, there's all this stuff on the internet that relates to the book, Um, and some of it was planted, like by the people who wrote the book and then some of it has been added by fans of the book and like knowing if it's like real or not real is really also a whole thing. Um, (laughs) I read this book with a book group and I was really glad that I did because you're just constantly like, wait, what? Uh, but it's a, in a really interesting way. And, um, and you can do it without the online stuff. That's like a component if you like really want the next level meta crazy. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of different ways to read this book. Um, and there's a lot of thoughts about books in it, uh, in addition to all of the other crazy stuff that's going on. So that might work for you. <laughs> um, another book that's super hard to describe. <laughs> so that is S by J.J. Abrams. Abrams. Yes, that, JJ Abrams, and Doug Dorst.
0: You would think that we describe books for a living. <laughs> you would think. Some books are just really hard to encapsulate. They really are. Okay, <clears throat> so my second selection for you is un- An Unnecessary Woman by Rabbi Almadine. Okay, that was harder to get out than it should have been. I love this narrator so, so much. She, the main character is, her name is Aaliyah. Aliyah. Aliyah? I don't know. Um, I'm going to go with Alia, And she is in her 70s and lives by herself in an apartment in Beirut, the same apartment that she has lived in for about 50 years. Um, she doesn't really have any religion. Her family has kind of disowned her. They call her or she calls herself her family's unnecessary appendage because she's like so independent and unmarried and no one really knows what to do with her and all that. Um, she is divorced. She was divorced like as a teenager so she's been by herself for a very long time she has no children um and she's kind of a recluse right so she like lives in this apartment and doesn't really get out much she used to work at a bookstore she's worked there she worked there her entire adult life um Mm -hmm. and has recently retired from doing that in her spare time she translates a new favorite book of hers into arabic and then shoves them away no one's ever read any of her translations um, this is just like a, a labor of love that she does for herself. So it's kind of not not plotless, but essentially a plotless novel. It's an older woman reminiscing about her life, uh, how she ended up where she is, what happened to her family, to her marriage, to her friendships. Um, it's also a meditation on the history of Beirut as a city, which is you know, it's a city in Lebanon, obviously, um, and how she survived the, uh, the violence and the civil war. Um, And all of that stuff that was going on in Beirut um, and how um, the city has changed over time, like from her perspective, how this like really vibrant and lovely um, pluralistic city turned into something kind of joyless that she doesn't she doesn't really recognize anymore. Um, So while all of that is going on, she she talks like every chapter is just saturated with her Talking about how much she loves books and the translations that she has made of the books that she loves. Um, and it bounces over, like, every well known classic work of Western literature that you can think of is referenced and uh, picked over and discussed here. Um, but really, what makes this is her voice. She does not give a. Meh. <laughs> like, she does her own thing, she goes her own way, um, she's very wry and cynical. And funny and kind of mean a little bit and like sarcastic, which, of course, I'm like obsessed with. So go it. And that's An Unnecessary Woman by Robbie Alamedine.
1: My second pick is also much more straightforward. It is The Children's Book by A.S. Byatt. Um, A.S. Byte has written actually a ton of novels that are also about novels, um, but this one is one of my favorites. It's a big, fat historical family epic. Uh, it's about a woman named Olive Wellwood who is an incredibly mm-hmm. successful children's author. Um, and she's got a big family and uh, you know they're well-to-do and they have this giant country house. And we start to find out about the family through the lens of this boy, Philip, who kind of gets taken in by The family, um, in in a good way, (laughs) taken in like not in like terms of a con, but like you know he like (laughs) gets invited to be like part sort of a part of the family. Um, But all is not as it seems as is usual in literature. And there's a lot of weird things going on. Some of the kids really resent her, their mother's fame and um, being part of the books that she's written. And some of the books were written for them, and they resent them being shared with the world. And some of them are fine. And um, and then on top of it. It's right as uh, World War One is breaking out, so there's a huge, you know, sort of world shift going on at the same time that these kids are coming of age themselves so it's a big you know it's history it's family stuff and then it's very revolves around the world that olive has created in this you know gangbusters uh children's book series that she's written so i think it works and is also just an amazing book uh so that is the children's book by a.s byatt
0: all right, question two. This is from Allison. She says, I am a mom with two girls who are both readers but are seven years apart in age. Recently, my oldest, Amy, who is 20, suggested we start a book club as a bonding activity between mom and daughters. Amy is a busy university student with limited time to read. In the past, she has enjoyed Ellen Hopkins and has recently read... Curious Incident of the Dog in the Night Time and the Magic Strings of Frankie Presto. Rachel, age 13, is an avid reader. She reads well above grade level and enjoys more fantasy mythology fiction than either Amy or myself do. She's willing to expand her horizons and things that she has read recently include Twilight, Percy Jackson series, and um, she loved The Sea of Tranquility. was hoping you'd be able to recommend something that we can all enjoy that meets in the middle somewhere. YA might be the best because of Amy and she has the least amount of time to commit. Okay. <clears throat> So speaking of mother-daughter book clubs, I think we talked about that at the top of the show. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We've had a bunch lately. I kind of love it. Yeah, this is cool. This is a thing that, you know, I I had never thought about doing. Well, I don't have daughters and my sons are not old enough to read. So why would I? Anyway, uh, I'll just keep going. Um, So my first choice is Outrun the Moon by Stacey Lee. I just read this and I loved it so much. This is... Um, It's YA historical fiction. It takes place in San Francisco in 1906. Um, It's about a 15-year-old girl whose name is Mercy. She lives in poverty with her family in Chinatown um, in San Francisco and is really determined to break her family out of this cycle of poverty, especially because her little brother has some health problems and is probably not going to be able to take over her family's um, laundry business uh, because he just can't deal... He can't, like, physically handle the hard work. So she is like determined to get an education and to start her own business and become successful. She wants to go to St. Clair's School for girls, but it is um, it doesn't accept Chinese students and it costs a bajillion dollars. So she figures out how to get in by like bribing people and manipulating adults in like the funniest, most excellent way. Um, and then so she gets in and of course she has to deal with like really super racist um, classmates who don't think that she belongs there. She has to figure out how to succeed. And you know, be twice as good to get half as far. Uh, And then one day, an earthquake, which was uh, really happened in 1906, um, like destroys the city. Her home is destroyed. Her school's destroyed. Martial laws in effect. She's forced to hang out in a park encampment with her classmates while they wait for their families. But Mercy's not like like she's just not the kind of kid who's going to sit around and wait for someone to come come save her. So she has to go. She like goes off to save the day. She is so awesome. She's like competent. um, She's funny. Super smart and like very self-aware um, and in like the best historical fiction, or at least in my opinion, my favorite kind of historical fiction, um, You, I learned so much about this specific event, uh, that earthquake in San Francisco, but also about like the microcosm of life in Chinatown and San Francisco in the early 20th century, which is a thing that I never really learned about. Um, and so it's fast-paced. I think that it's fast-paced enough that your oldest will be able to get through it uh, without interfering with their studies. Um, and it's YA, but I think it's kind of on the younger end of YA, so your 13-year-old should be fine. So that's Outrun the Moon by Stacey Lee.
1: Okay, Uh, so my first pick for you guys is Everything Everything by Nicola Yoon, with the caveat that there is sex in this book, and I don't know what kind of content concerns you have. So um, they, yeah, there's sex. (laughs) So (laughs) they do the thing. (laughs) They do the thing. So if that's not okay, then you know, skip to our next, my next suggestion, or Amanda's. But um, I wanted to throw this out there because I think it's a kind of perfect for mother daughter book clubs because it's very primarily about a mother and a daughter so the main character of this book maddie has this disease like she's like the bubble girl she's allergic to the whole world she her she lives in a very controlled environment she's 17 she's like not left her house basically ever um and she pretty much the only people she sees are her mom who is a doctor and who is like working tirelessly to try to figure out like what is going on with her disease and then carla who's the nurse slash homemade kind of person um and then, you know, everything is just kind of, like, proceeding like normal. She's got, like, a pretty solid, like, childhood. You know, she's she's learning things through homeschooling, and she has a good relationship with her mom. But she's also a teenager, so, like... It sucks to have to live in your house forever. Um, And then one day, a new family moves in next door. Uh, Of course, they have a young boy her age in the family, and so she kind of falls in love with him through her window, as is wont to happen. Um, And he sees her looking back and comes to visit her, which is not usually allowed, because he could contaminate her environment and she could die. Um... And so it sounds like it's a forbidden love story, and it is. Um, There's a bunch of stuff that happens, obviously. Um, But at its heart, this is really a book about uh, mothers and daughters and the way that they relate and the way that mothers try to protect their children from the world around them and how you can't always do that um, and what happens when you don't. And it's a really, I think there's a lot of stuff that you could talk about in terms of like, why we why we do the things that we do with our families um, and why we have the relationships that we have and and also like it's kind of a it's you'll see I don't want to like give it away but like it's a little bit of a fairy tale rewrite which I think will appeal to your younger daughter as well like when she picks up on it that'll be a cool moment um and I think it's definitely any a book anybody could read and enjoy so that is Everything Everything by Nicola Yoon.
0: All right, my second pick for you is Leviathan by Scott Westerfeld. Uh, this is the first in a trilogy, and it's a steampunk alternate history of World War I that is a lot of fun. Um, and so, in this alternate kind of universe, World War I still happens, but it's uh, not necessarily for the reasons that you were taught in school. The um, Austro Hungarian side of the war has built their society on uh, steam power, so, all of their weapons are steam powered, um, and they're very industrial. And then the British side of the war has built their society on biological uh, weapons that are, they call them beasties, but, like, they're, um, they've taken the theories of Darwin of evolution and used it to create living tools that they've, like, integrated into their society. Some of them are are turned into weapons. Um, And so it's really a war between two different ways of life. Um, And so the two main characters, the the, uh, first one is Darren. she's a girl. She's a teenager. She's a uh, wants to join the British Air Service and has always dreamed about being a pilot and flying. But she can't because she's a girl. So she disguises herself as a boy, and she joins the British Air Service and gets um, shipped off to work on a Leviathan, which is a giant flying sky whale. That um, I guess is like a oh what is what were they called oh zeppelins Zeblin. yes it's essentially a big zeppelin but it's alive, it's a living whale. Um, and then the other main character is Prince Alexander, who is the heir to the Austro-Hungarian throne, but, like, a crisis has happened. He's on the run with a war machine and, like, a handful of dudes who are still loyal to him. And then they come together to save the world and end the war and all of that. We're um, trying to prevent the war from happening. And then it goes on over a series of three books. The thing that I love about this is that Darren never really breaks from her disguising herself as a boy thing like she doesn't meet Prince Alexander and decide that she's gonna fall in love with him and like give up on all of her stuff so that she can support him in his effort to be a prince like that was actually where I was expecting the book to go when I first started reading it but that's absolutely not what happens um so I think it would be a really great read especially for your younger kid uh and it's just a lot of fun there's some really great illustrations um, and yeah World War I'm, I'm doing like a historical fiction thing right now I just realized but I, I really like World War one as, as like as a time period um, but the steampunk stuff makes it uh, lots of fun. So that's Leviathan by Scott Westerfeld.
1: Nice. Um, my second pick is a little bit based on you mentioning the Percy Jackson series. Uh, it is the last Dragon Slayer by Jasper Ford, which is the first in the Dragon Slayer series. Um, and the reason that I thought of it is because like, um, the Percy Jackson series. Rick Riordan sort of delights and, like, wacky jokes in that series. Mm-hmm. And Jasper Ford is also amazing at that, perhaps even better, dare I say. Um, and this series is about, it takes place in a world where magic is real. Um, it's like an alternate Britain. Uh, and, and magicians are, like, they're not just, like, you know, court advisors and, like, saving the world. They're also, like, rewiring your electricity and, like, clearing out the drains and doing things that are just easier if you have a magician rather than if you don't have magic. Um, And, but magic is failing. There's, like, magic is disappearing from the world and our main character, Jennifer Strange, is a 15-year-old orphan who works for an employment agency for magicians, but, like, they're kind of going out of business because there's no magic and all of the magicians are really cranky about And they're, like, there's a lot of really fun personalities. And then Jennifer starts to find out that there's, like, more to what's going on than meets the eye. And she's somehow involved. And it's it's a really fun book that also has high stakes, uh, which is a really enjoyable combination. Um, Jasper Ford is just hilarious, and this has a nice dose of that sci-fi fantasy aspect that your younger daughter loves. But it's got a lot of like very smart um, sort of meta jokes in it that I think you and your older daughter will also love. And it's just a good story, and it's a great start to a new series. So that is the Last Dragon Slayer by Jasper Ford, and it's me. Okay. Next question is from Roberta. I need to get books for my very very bookish friend for her birthday and book-themed wedding. She loves Neil Gaiman, Murakami, and some favorite novels include A Little Life, The Enchanted, A Brief History of Seven Killings. She also loves psychological thrillers. She's very much in tune with all that's new and pretty... Oh, all that's new and pretty much gets the books as soon as they hit the shelves, so maybe something older or under the radar would be more guaranteed to not be a repeat. Uh, her birthday is September 20th, and I need to get the books before then... Okay, uh, so I just realized that my picks aren't like necessarily
0: wedding appropriate, but whatever. <laughs>
1: We're just gonna like plow right on.
0: Yeah. Um, Same. Yeah, I just I must have totally missed the like. I snatched onto the birthday thing and yeah.
1: totally Whoops. missed the wedding. Well, thing. anyway, okay. <laughs> These are just good books, though, yeah. so who wouldn't want to get them for their wedding? Um, <laughs> My first pick for you is A Guide for the Perplexed by Dara Horn, and I picked this one because it's clear to me from some of her favorites that she doesn't mind really intense books that take a while to figure out where they're going. Like, The Brief History of Seven Killings is not an easy read, um, but it's a really good one. It's a really complex one, and that is why I picked A Guide for the Perplexed by Dara Horn, because I love this book but it's a really intense kind of crazy book uh it starts off with a software prodigy josie ashkenazi who has invented an app that like records everything its users do and not in like a big brother kind of way but in like a personal diary kind of way and like also aid kind of way so like can't remember where you put your keys but the app knows and like you want to remember every moment from your kids growing up the app can help you do that um And so she has, like, visions of it changing the way that people sort of live and relate to their life in a really personal way. Um, And she gets invited to go to Egypt to help a library because they want to bring her in as a consultant because there's obvious archival, uh, you know, components to her app. Um, And there's a lot of upheaval going on in Egypt, but she goes anyway, and then she's abducted. Um, And her sister ends up sort of moving in with uh, Josie's husband and daughter. And you find out that there's a lot of, like, history of jealousy between the two sisters, and there's all these family complications. And then, in the meantime, this is also a story about... um, Maimonides, who is a medieval philosopher, um, who was working really hard on, you know, trying to reconcile like free will and destiny and all of these things. And it all links together in a really fascinating way. You have to work for it, but it's totally worth the work. Um, and I don't feel like that many people read or heard about this book when it came out in 2013, but I thought it was amazing. Um, it's just a really smart thinky book that also has a great plot line. So that is a guide for the perplexed by Dara Horn.
0: Okay, I also noticed that um, the books that you name that she really likes are kind of dark and a little strange, so that's where I went. Um, And I picked one that was under the radar and one that's older, because I like to take people literally, I guess, I don't know. Um, So my first selection was Tram 83 by Fista Mwanza Mujila, and it's translated by Ronald Glasser. Um, This came out, I think, last year and it's so weird (laughs) y'all and i love it okay so it's about lucian who's a professional writer he moves to an unnamed african city in like an unnamed country to move and he moves in with a friend from his childhood named requiem and he just wants to like find a place to stay hunker down write, uh and get the thing done requiem it turns out is a con artist and lives mostly just on like swindling people and stealing um and lucian doesn't Really approve. The two of them have a history together that you kind of unravel throughout the course of the book. And while they are doing that, working out their personal issues, they spend most of their time in Tram 83, which is uh, the name of a nightclub in this unnamed city um, that is just the seediest, greasy spoon, grossest place ever. Um, there's, like, ex-child soldiers. It's full of prostitutes, uh, like, tourists who were there, people who were there. Uh, like worker mineral workers who have come into this unnamed city to strip the the mineral uh, the mines uh and make try and make some money um so all of that is also going on and uh, it's not um describing this though the way that this book is written is kind of difficult but fiston himself is a really big fan of jazz and so the way that it's written feels like you're listening to jazz if that makes sense so he he, when he set out to write it, he said he wanted to write like the literary version of a Coltrane album, and that's like exactly what this sounds like. Um, so it's it's very dark and, and weird and um political, but it's also like unput downable for like a book about a, a seedy nightclub and two characters who you really don't like in a city that's like falling apart and has no laws. Um, though it just brings you along in the same way that like you're sitting you if you sit and try to listen to a jazz album and you like you find yourself still there an hour later trying to pick up on the themes of the music like that's what you kind of end up doing here like it just it's like a river the writing is like a river you just flow with it um d- despite the fact that what you're reading can often be a little unpleasant but it's so good like he's just so talented so that's Tram 83 by fiston Mwanza mujila Cool.
1: Um, I'm, like, taking notes over here. <laughs> okay. Um, my second pick for you, I don't think it was known much outside of the comic circles, so I think it might be new to her, and you mentioned that she loves psychological thrillers, and as we've already established, she loves weird books, and this is a super weird psychological thriller. It's called Gun Machine. It's by Warren Ellis, who is a well-known comics writer, um, who has the strangest brain in the world. <laughs> like, really, his brain is so freaking weird in a delightful way. Um, Um, And this is, it seems like it is a police procedural set in New York. Um, There's a detective named John Tallow who has, there's a shootout and his partner dies. And in the process of like dealing with that crime slash shootout thing, he finds an apartment that is just filled with guns. Like, it's full of guns. And when they take them in and they, you know, start to examine them, it turns out that every single weapon was the murder weapon in an unsolved murder. Um, And they go back, like, 20 years or more. So... He's dealing with all of this, you know, depression and frustration following the death of his partner. He's got this kind of crazily unsolvable case. Like, how is it possible that there's a stockpile of murder weapons that for murders that don't seem to be related for t- more than 20 years? Like, it's just crazy. Um, and... <laughs> And then he starts to pull at the threads and he gets reassigned to it because they just kind of want him out of the way. Um, They don't really want him back out of the streets uh, because he's not dealing well with the death of his partner. And uh, things start to get super weird. Um, I don't want to say anymore because I don't want to spoil anything, but it ends on this note where you're like... Wait, what? Like, (laughs) it's a very open-ended, open-to-interpretation ending, um, where it's like, it could be supernatural, it could just be all in somebody's head, you're not really sure, but the process of figuring it out and trying to decide what you believe about what's happening in the book is really enjoyable and interesting and fascinating. So that is Gun Machine by Warren Ellis.
0: Okay, my second one is The Space Between Us by Thriti Umrigar, which I picked because it's hard, like a little life, which she loves. Um, Hard as in, like, bad stuff just keeps happening to these poor people, and you just can't stop reading it, even though it's really difficult emotionally. So it's set in India, and it's about two women, Sarah, who is an upper-class housewife, Parsi housewife, Um, who lives, like, pretty much a life of luxury, does essentially whatever she wants, except she has a super abusive husband who has just died as the book opens. Um, And then the second main character's name is Bima, who is her um, housekeeper and servant, who has worked for her for, like, 20 years. Bima has worked for Sarah for, like, 20 years. Um, She's very stoic, very dependable, lives in a slum with her granddaughter, essentially lives in poverty. Um, And so... Their children, or her, Bima's granddaughter and Sarah's children, have, like, grown up together. Um, and their lives intertwine in really strange and interesting ways also. So both of these women have difficult, um, difficult lives, like, really difficult lives. Bima's granddaughter is pregnant, and um, so she's, like, dealing with the shame of that, trying to figure out how she's going to feed another mouth uh, and all of that, like... um kind of shame that she thinks that she has to carry because of it. Uh, And then there's also like the mystery of who the father is that she's trying to figure out. Um, And so it's, it's, there's a lot of uh, flashbacks to the history that these two women have together. And the reference, the space between us, the title is about this space that separates these two women, despite the fact that they are essentially best friends. They've known each other for 20 years. They've been in each other's life for 20 years. But the class divide is like an uncrossable gulf. Between the two of them, like there's no one who knows more about Sarah and her marriage and her life and her hardships than Bima does, um, but there's like she can't she can't get there to be there for her. Um, so it's a lot about misogyny, the things that women. Have to deal with in their lives because of the choices that men get to make that women don't get to make, and about uh, the class structure of uh, Indian society. So I loved this book. It's like, it's beautiful, it's heartfelt, but it's hard. Like, both of these women have hard, hard lives. Um, so that's The Space Between Us by 3D Umrigar. Oh, and I picked that because it's older. You said under the radar. It's not really under the radar, but it was published um, in the early 2000s. So it's very possible that she missed it. So yeah, Godspeed. Happy wedding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> whoops the doodle So the next question is from Jen. Um, she's she's not, for, me. Not, not me. Not you. Another Jen. Jen one She's looking for a birthday present for her mom. Uh, she says, my mom retired last year and has begun reading for pleasure again, something she hasn't really done in decades. She picked up an Eva Ibbotson romance from her library and fell in love and quickly devoured the rest of uh, her romances since then. After some discussion, I've pinpointed her favorite things about these books. It's that Ibbotson writes romances that are relatively clean, so no explicit sex, but also not full of Jesus talk. My mom is a Christian, but she's tried and bounced off of a lot of Christian romance. Do you have any recommendations for historical books, either in the romance genre or with a large romance subplot, that are in the same vein? For what it's worth, she's already read all of Jane Austen and higher, and liked them as well. Okay, why don't you go first? Okay, I'm so excited about this question, Um,
1: because I just finished reading a book that is perfect for your mom. It's called My Lady Jane by Cynthia Hand, Brody Ashton, and Jody Meadows, and it is a comedic romance rewriting rewriting of the story of Lady Jane Grey, which, if you know your history, (laughs) yes, exactly, Um, she was queen for six days and then was beheaded, um... And it was after Prince Edward died, or, well, I guess King Edward, and then it was before, right before Elizabeth I took the throne. So, that time period, not particularly funny, and yet, um, these three authors have created a sort of, like, Princess Bride-inspired, madcap, supernatural retelling of Lady Jane's story. So, um, and I feel like moms need humor, too. Like, Moms need fun. This book is so much fun. It's, um, the the concept is that uh, Jane, like, a lot of this history matches up, at least initially. Like, Jane is married off to some stranger. She doesn't know, um... And is caught up in this conspiracy at the court of King Edward, um, who is the son of Henry VIII, who initially has the throne That then he dies. Um, so Edward is dying of consumption and probably also is being poisoned. And Jane is being set up as, like, the next heir to the throne because they think she's going to be easy to control because of who she's marrying, which is the son of Lord Dudley, who's one of the advisors in the court. It's all very complicated. The twist is that in this society, it's not like Protestantism versus Catholicism. It's shapeshifters versus not shapeshifters And not, like, shapeshifters in, like, the, like, dramatic, like, pack-wolf way. Like, no. Like, um, some of the characters, like, turn into cats, and some of them turn into birds, and some of them turn into skunks, and it's really super entertaining. One of the characters spends every day as a horse, um, before turning back into a dude. Um, and so the political conspiracy revolves around this, um, and a lot of the action does as well. It is just a delight to read. It's super fun, and it's also super clean. There's a lot of, like, lingering glances. There's two, three how many love stories are in this book? Definitely at least two. Um, and they are, but it's like very like, you know, interrupted kisses and nobody gets to do anything until like the last chapter. Um, and even then it's off screen. Um, but it's just so much fun. It's just a real delight to read. I laughed out loud regularly, um, which is not something you expect from a book about Lady Jane Grey. So this is a really enjoyable read that I think she would have a blast with. and that is My Lady Jane by Cynthia Hand, Brody Ashton, and Jody Meadows.
0: Okay. Um, I went to the contributors for recommendations for this question because all of the romances that I like are not with the clean so much. Um, <laughs> so no. <laughs> Which is a thing I realized when I was looking for, for books for this question. I was like, wow, these are all super explicit. <laughs> but that is apparently what I like. So, um, Amanda Dial, who is one of our Great romance writers at Book Riot, who uh, writes for smart bitches trashy books, uh, recommends Lord Fenton's Folly, which is by Josie S. Kill Patrick, um, and is part of a series of books, and the series is called A Proper Romance. So I feel like that's like right up your mom's alley. Um, so Lord Fenton of the title, Lord Fenton's Folly, is a is you know like a dandy. He's a gambler. He's a troublemaker. Uh, he's got to get married or he's going to be disinherited. Um, and so he picks a girl named Alice Stanbridge to marry because he knew her when he was young. She's the least objectionable option out of all of the options that he's got at the moment. So he proposes to Alice. Uh, Difficult to hear is that Alice actually does love him, like has had feelings for him since their, the first time they met 10 years ago, and she thinks that he's proposing to her for real. So, like, she's under the impression that he actually loves her and wants to marry her because of who she is. She finds out that that's not the case. She's hurt. She's embarrassed. But a match with, you know, like, the most eligible bachelor that she knows would secure her future and her family's future. So she goes ahead with it. Um... She turns out to be, like, super witty. She's kind of snarky to him for obvious reasons because uh, she's, you know, determined to protect herself from him uh, or from being hurt again, but she does still need to marry him. So they're, they are move towards this marriage of convenience. Um, and then you find out some stuff about Fenton's family life, some family secrets. Uh, he starts to maybe let down his guard a little bit, you know, as one would expect to make, to make room uh, in his heart for, like, falling in love with Alice for real. But she has to decide if she wants to... Give him another chance. Um, so you know, sweet historical. It's Regency. Um, if she, if your mom is into Regency romances, and clean. You know, fade to black all the way. So that's Lord Fenton's Folly, which is book two in the proper romance series. Um, but as with a lot of romance series, don't necessarily need to be read in order. Uh, that is by Josie S. Kilpack. Kill Pack. Sorry, I said it wrong
1: the first time. All right. So the second one is also one I've recently read and really enjoyed. It's The Phantom Lover by Elizabeth Mansfield. And the heroine, uh, Nell Belden, is a ward of uh, these this couple that's like very flighty and sort of spendthrift and don't really know how to manage their selves or their affairs, so they don't really manage her either. So she's been kind of let to run... A little bit wild like and this is the regency so she's not actually that wild but like doing anything slightly out of the ordinary is wild Um, and one of the things she does is she has been engaged three times and has cried off as they call it three times she's like changed her mind about the engagements and so that's like that happens you're definitely not supposed to do it three times and in the meantime the family is in dire financial straits and so her guardians are like no 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 you need to marry this last guy because he's rich, and you just need to do it. And she's like, "Nope, not gonna do it." So they send her to the family castle, uh, like out in Cornwall. They're like, "That'll teach her." <laughs> she's, she's removed from society. She's gonna get bored. She's gonna get, you know, sad to be removed from London and all of the hijinks that she's used to getting up to. Like, she'll decide. She'll change her mind. She'll come back and she'll marry this dude who is still willing to take her back because she's very pretty, obviously. So she goes to Cornwall with her aunt. And in the meantime, the background of this castle is that the heir to the family fortune has been lost in action in the war with France. Um, And so they don't know if he's alive or dead. Um, And it turns out that he is hiding out in the Cornwall Castle and doesn't want to be part of society because he's lost a leg in the war and he's suffering from depression and trauma, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder about that. Except it's not called that because this is a regency romance. But that's basically what it is. Um, and now all of a sudden, there's these two women living in his castle and he doesn't want them to know that he is there. So he tries to fake a ghost haunting to drive them out. Um, and Nell is very practical for all of her ridiculousness. She's like, somebody is living here illegally and I'm gonna get to the bottom of this. So it's a little bit of like a mystery, of course, in the course of this fake haunting and her trying to figure out what's going on, they fall a little bit in love, but it's complicated because he is still betrothed to another woman who's very beautiful and has been waiting for him to come back from the war and she's supposed to marry this other guy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the typical (laughs) romance hijinks ensue. Um, it's really lovely it's it's like it's just so much fun um i thought it was a neat twist on the like you know gothic castle out in the wilds like to make it sort of a comedic fake haunting i thought that was a really clever twist um and the characters are a whole lot of fun so that is the phantom lover by elizabeth mansfield
0: okay um my second selection for you comes from jessica tripler who's another one of our romance writers at book Riot, and she recommended the of love and war series by stacy henry and the first book uh in this is hope at dawn and this is the sixth place during world war one world war one romance i just love that this exists this is just looks like, so good um i'm like a world war one nerd for some reason it's set in this fictional town in the u.s called hilden and as one expects during World War One, there's a lot of discrimination in this town against uh, German American settlers and people descended from German American settlers. Um, they're you know, the people of German descent who live there, their loyalty is questioned all the time. There's um, laws are passed in the town that prohibit them from speaking German. They're forced to buy Liberty Bonds uh, to like prove their commitment to being an American. And all this, and the hero in this book, his name is Frederick or Friedrich. Um, is kind of dealing with all of this discrimination. And at the same time, his German father is dying. And so he's been granted a deferment from serving in the military. So not only is he of German descent um, in the middle of World War I, but he's not going off to fight for the American side because he has to stay by his father's side while his father dies. Um, The heroine, her name is Livy, she's a school teacher. Um, They meet, her brothers are off fighting in the Great War in France, you know, and she is kind of like not cool with german folk as most of the people in this town who were not german are not cool with german folk um so she's teaching but she's teaching their kids like this this town that she's moved to to be a school teacher to help out her family is a large part of the population is of german descent so she's gotta you know deal with her own self and and teach their children and make friends with the population and not be a jerk um and so the two of them meet the they fall for each other in the midst of, like, some trying, you know, circumstances. Livy has to overcome her own uh, prejudices. Um, Friedrich is falling in love with a woman while also dealing with, like, his neighbors turning against him and his family falling apart as his father dies. Um, So there's a lot going on here. It's not like a a funny romp of a romance novel. It's more like a everyone is sad but love saves the day kind of a romance novel, which makes sense because, you know, hashtag world war one so that's hope at dawn by stacy henry and it's the first in a series called of love and war so there are more uh, if your mother likes it all right it is time for our second sponsor which is
1: the ones by daniel swearn becker which just came out last week um it is a ya novel about two teenagers on the run Cody and James were part of a 1% of the population randomly selected for genetic engineering, like sort of in utero. Uh, So they were born almost perfect. And as they have grown up, things have changed a lot in terms of the population's acceptance of genetic engineering. Um, And so there is this movement that is very politically charged Um, might sound familiar if you have been paying attention to you know, the news, ever. Um, (laughs) So this movement is sort of capitalizing on fears and decides to outlaw the existence of these genetically perfect beings. So now she and her boyfriend are on the run um, trying to figure out how to survive, um, what's going to happen to themselves and their families, and they find themselves uh, becoming involved with a group of radical ones, as they're called, um, because they're 1% of the population, uh, intent on fighting back and she's just not sure what is the right thing to do in this very complicated and highly charged situation. So if you enjoy fast-paced YA, um, if you enjoy like alternate versions of current events and with a little touch of science fiction thrown in there, this book is definitely going to be one you're going to want to check out. Uh, I also really love the cover. It's got one of those great like you know those movie trailers where somebody like zooms in sort of from a sniper eye viewpoint on a crowd and you can tell who they're looking at. It's got one of those covers which I always really like that shot for some reason has been like baked into my DNA as an interesting shot um so I think that's a really excellent cover choice for a book like this so that is The Ones by Daniel Swearenbecker and you should definitely check it out okay Let's see. Our next question is from Barbara. Uh, I just found out that I'm going to need to have surgery in mid-September, and I'll be laid up for about three or four weeks convalescing afterward. I'm looking for books that will be absorbing enough to help me through the boredom, but simple enough that I can keep track of the plot while on Painkillers. I usually read mostly science fiction fantasy and mystery thrillers, but I'm pretty genre agnostic. Uh,
0: so, why don't you start, Amanda? Okay. Um, I have several recommendations I mean, I'm only gonna give you two, but uh, I just had a kind of semi-major surgery and had like a three or four week recovery. And so I have um, suggestions based on my experience. And one thing that I wanna mention is if you're doing this in physical form, if you're gonna be reading like actual print books, try some graphic novels or books that are thin, just because holding up really thick books after surgery is exhausting. Um, So that's just a sub note. But so my first pick for you is You Will Know Me by Megan Abbott. This is her newest. Um, Book. It's a mystery thriller and Megan Abbott is so good. So and it's about gymnastics, which if you are missing that after the Olympics have ended, then you can get your fix here. Um, Katie and Eric Knox have a prodigy, a 15 year old daughter named Devin. She's an Olympic hopeful. She's you know, their family's gone into tons of debt to get her in a gym with trainers who will propel her up to where she needs to be. But then a death in their gymnastics community, somebody that they know, like a, um, a friend of one of the people in their like, gym fam, uh, dies in a mysterious kind of way. And Katie, Devin's mother, starts to realize that something is kind of like weird about his death and about the other parents. And also maybe a little bit about her husband and also maybe a little bit about her daughter, who is 15. Um, and so you're with Katie as she goes down this road of trying to solve The mystery of what happened to the person who died, but also what's the deal with her child, who is super, super talented, but also kind of ice cold. And, like, they're not as close as they used to be. She's got some um, secrets, Devin does. And nobody writes teenage girls with secrets better than Megan Abbott. Uh, So there's a lot kind of going on here, like family secrets, murder, maybe accidental death, maybe. You don't really know. Um, but I listened to this on audio when I was in recovery from my surgery and, um, it's totally like doable. You don't have to, there's not so much going on that you're going to like lose the thread and it's so engaging that you like won't be able to stop. So I'm sure it's that way in print also, whichever way you like want to ingest it. But if you do happen to be not in the mood to like hold a book up after your surgery, it's, it is a good audiobook, So I do recommend it. So that's You Will Know Me by Megan Abbott. Um,
1: I kind of thought of this as like books that already feel a little bit like fever dreams <laughs> which is maybe not correct but um you know I was like what well, would be good to read while you're out of it and these are my picks. So my first one is Persona by Genevieve Valentine and um, this is a near future world where instead of like So there's a it's a different version of the UN that's basically models who have been handpicked to represent their it's like if Miss Universe sent its you know leading country contestants to be their ambassadors. Um, So these people are picked for their looks and for their charm and charisma, and um, they're not necessarily expected to make any major decisions. And one of them, Suyana, who is the face, quote unquote is what they're called, of the United Amazonia Rainforest Confederation, she has a brain and she's very aware of how she is supposed to be and how society is manipulating these people and what's going on behind the scenes. Um, and she's in she's kind of making an alliance with the head of the, with the face, excuse me, for the United States um, to sort of solidify a relationship that will help her country uh, economically um, she is there's an assassination attempt on her life so now she's on the run she's trying to figure out who is trying to kill her and why Um, and there is a paparazzi photographer who was following her hoping just for a shot of like a clandestine meeting and he accidentally catches the assassination attempt on camera as it's happening Um, and so he ends up on the run with her and it is a thriller so there are like some shifting situations but I don't think it's so complex or hard to follow that it would be hard to read while you're a little bit out of it. Um, and and I think that the characters are so compelling that it will definitely keep your mind occupied while you're bored and, you know, can't move. Uh, and it's the first in a series, so there's a second book, so if you like the first one, there's another one that's out now. Um, so you can pick that up as soon as you like, if you like it. Uh, So yeah, so it's a little bit of a thriller. It's a near future, so a little bit of science fiction. And it's just a really compelling, great story. Um, And if you are at all a fashion buff, like this book is the way it plays with fashion language is so smart. So that is Persona by Genevieve Valentine.
0: Okay, my second one is Time Salvager by Wesley Chu, which I also read uh, after my surgery. And I read it on overdrive on my phone for also because it was just like too tired and out of it on painkillers to hold up a real book so um, your library will probably have it uh, on ebook if you feel like you want to read it that way and this is a science fiction time travel romp but it's not, time travel books can often be confusing with like the time loops and stuff like that um, where you can't figure out like where the story starts and ends and like who affected what or whatever but this isn't like that it's very straightforward adventure Uh, it takes place in an earth universe uh, several hundred years in the future where our resources are essentially gone and humanity is just hanging on by a thread about to go extinct essentially and this really large and powerful organization sends people back in time to salvage resources and bring them back to the present so that we can survive resources like straight up like wood oil um tools you know data collecting stuff, like things that we need to continue our civilization. Um, And James is the main character. He's what they call a Cron man, a time traveler, a time salvager. He's gone. He gets like a new mission. He gets a new mission that is sponsored by a really powerful corporation uh, that sounds kind of hinky, but he takes it anyway, because if he does it, he'll retire out. Like they'll pay him enough that he can buy out his job. He won't have to do this anymore. He can go live on like a moon somewhere and have fun in his dotage. Um, So it's his last mission. He goes back in time to pick up some stuff from an oceanic rig. uh, And when he's there, he meets a scientist named Elise and violates one of the major time laws and um, brings her back into the future with him to save her because he's on this oceanic rig like 20 minutes before it falls into the ground or falls into the ocean and everybody dies. So he brings her back to the future to save her. And then when she comes you know to present day, she realizes that she might know how to fix the thing that has destroyed Earth and um, made it impossible for us to survive on our own planet. So there's uh, it's like action adventure they go on the run because he knows that he's broken the law when he brings her back from the past. Um, and there's like survival stuff and weird climate change stuff and it's just really fun. All the characters are great um, and f- like fascinating and strange and a little weird. And it's just a really fast-paced adventure. Like it's just fun. I don't know how to describe it to you. It's fun, and you will be able to follow everything, no matter how much of a you and you have taken. So that's Time Salvager by Wesley Chu, and it is the first in a series, and it ends on a cliffhanger, just to warn you. But the second one is out, I think. So good luck with that.
1: <laughs> um, okay, my second recommendation for you is a YA novel called *The Weight of Feathers* by Anna Marie Macklemore. Um, I... This is a magical realism feuding families forbidden love story. Uh, and I thought magical realism was, like, kind of perfect for when you're out of it. Um, and so, uh, this is why I picked this. Plus, I also really love it. I will say, though, that it is very dark. Um, it's... It's very absorbing, and, you know, you get really into it because of the dark, but it is dark. So if that's not, like, your speed, then maybe don't pick it up. Um, but it's about these two families. One, uh, the Palomas and the Corbeaux. Um and they have been they're like rival circus families. They both put on their traveling performance troops, they put on these really amazing shows. Um the Palomas do sort of mermaid shows where they're the young people in the family like put on these, you know, really elaborate tales and they've learned they've practiced holding their breath underwater and, you know, they do this whole show. <laughs> And then the Corbeaux's um, are sort of acrobats, but instead of just doing acrobatics on, like, wires or treppies or something, they put on these wings and they go up into the trees. And so, like, I just got so excited I whacked my mic. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. But, yeah, so they go up into the trees and it's almost like they can fly. I mean, they can't. They're just really talented acrobats with wings on their shoulders, but, like, you know. Um, and then there's something slightly magical about both families, like, not quite what you would imagine, but, yes, yeah, slightly magical. And they're feuding because, um, like, a, maybe a generation or so ago this horrible thing happened somebody from each family died and the families blame each other for that and so they've like they've got this insane rivalry that turns very small incidents like not a whole lot actually happens in this book but these small incidents are blown so out of proportion by the feud that's been going on um and there's two young people, Lace, who is a Paloma, and then uh, Cluck is his nickname, um, who is a Corbo boy. And both are sort of being pushed out by their families for different reasons Um, and they meet accidentally and don't know who each other are and start to fall for each other and then of course they find out that they're part of different families and the book is about them coming to terms with both their family histories as well as figuring out like who they are to each other. Um, There are like trigger warnings for family abuse there's some dark stuff in here but it's handled so well um, and the characters are so compelling and you can just see how everybody has been twisted out of what could have been their natural sort of alignment by this terrible thing that happened in the past and by their misapprehensions about what it was and why it happened uh, so it's super absorbing it's it's it is magical realism so like things happen that are a little bit inexplicable but that's part of the story um, so that's kind of a nice uh, side note to it uh, and that is the weight of feathers by anna-marie macklemore and that's our show Woo. Um, thanks so much for listening, as always. If you would like to, we would love for you to rate us on iTunes. Uh, if you leave a review, it helps other people to find the show, and we love to see your feedback. You can find us on social. I'm Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, and Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson. Um, thank you so much to our sponsors, which were Spontaneous by Aaron Starmer and The Ones by Dar- Daniel Uh, Thank you to so much for sponsoring the show. Please do. Do check them out.